get into the message, let's just take a moment and appreciate how close to the end times we must be if Kelly turned on the fan in the church to make it cool down in here. Mark chapter 8 is where we'll be. Uh, throughout Jesus' ministry, he consistently did the same sort of things over and over again. When you read through the Gospels, wherever Jesus went, he, he did the same things kind of over and over again. And the things he did fall into three broad categories. One, he, he teach, he taught, and he preached. Right? He was a, a master teacher and a master preacher. Every time a crowd gathered to Jesus, he took the opportunity to teach the people about the kingdom of God, to urge them to become his followers. Uh, he never missed an opportunity to do that. Jesus also, wherever he went, he spent time with those society rejected. Now, all kinds of people came to hear Jesus teach and to see what he might do. But Jesus often made an intentional effort to spend time with those who had been cast off by society at large. This was especially true if the people had been cast off by the religious world. Now, as far as the Jewish religious world were concerned, there were certain kinds of people who had sinned so far and they had sinned so badly and they were so thoroughly corrupt, they were beyond hope. What they would, what we would say is, those people just cannot be saved. Now, they didn't believe it was unlikely these people would be saved. They believed God simply would not save these people because of the things they had done. The religious leaders despised these people to such an extent that they, when they would walk through the, the markets uh, where the, these kind of people might be, and they wore their robes, they would take their robes and they would gather them and hold them around them for fear that the edge of their cloak might touch one of these dirty, rotten sinners. And if it did, the cloak became defiled and unclean, and they would have to burn it because it could never be made right again. Uh, but these were the very kind of people Jesus went out of his way to spend time with. Jesus even would go as far as to eat with these people. Now, in their culture, eating with someone implied acceptance of them. And eating with someone in the eyes of the religious leaders implicated you in their sin, even if you didn't take part in their sin. But Jesus didn't care what the religious leaders thought about this. He made a point to go out of his way to befriend those kinds of people and to spend time with them everywhere he went. So think about like when Jesus called Matthew to follow him. Matthew was a tax collector. Um, tax collectors were a part of the despised and hopeless sinners that the religious leaders said could not be saved. God was done with him. Jesus not only calls Matthew to be his disciple, he goes to Matthew's house to eat with him and Matthew's friends. Of course, Matthew as a tax collector has no, no people, no friends who are part of what you would call the good society, the good people of life. They were other tax collectors and prostitutes and the worst sort of sinners. Jesus went to there, he ate with them, and he sat with them. And this of course, caused him to be soundly criticized by the religious leaders. But Jesus just did not care. Their criticism did not faze him in the least. And then another thing Jesus always did was he helped the needy. The ways Jesus helped the needy were many. He healed their sickness. He raised their dead. He fed them. He cast demons out of them and out of their loved ones and just generally did whatever he could to help them in that time and place and the help that they needed. Now, these three categories of activities mark the consistent way Jesus lived his life. And as you read the Gospels, there are two traits about all of these things that will stand out to us. The first is how others-centered Jesus was. In all of these things Jesus did, he was focused on others. He taught others, he taught the people, because he had information they needed to know. He spent time with the people, because no one else would. And that prevented them from knowing God loved them and wanted to have a relationship with them. He helped the needy because he could help them. Jesus consistently focused on others. Secondly, 
is how much Jesus cared for others. This was the reason Jesus was so others focused. He did not focus on others so he could get something from them. He didn't have any needs he could not meet himself. I mean, he could literally walk on water and make multiply food. He didn't have needs he could not meet on his own. He didn't focus on others because he had to. He is the Son of God, the King over kings and the Lord over lords. Absolutely no one could make him do anything he didn't want to do. His focus on others was motivated by his love for others. Jesus genuinely cared about people. And this motivated him to make their needs a priority in his life. And as we've talked about in previous weeks, as disciples of Jesus, a part of what we're supposed to do is be like Jesus. So today we're going to look at a story to see how we might go about caring about people as Jesus cares about people. Open your Bible to Mark 8 if you haven't already. That should be page 768 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. In those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus summoned his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me for three days already and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come a great distance. And his disciples replied to him, where will we get? Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to recline on the ground and to take seven loaves. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he blessed them, he told the disciples to serve these as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over and of the broken pieces. And about 4,000 men were there, and he dismissed them. And immediately he got in a boat with his disciples, came to the region of Dalmantha. title of the message is, The Savior Who Cares. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We are thankful for your grace and your goodness. We're thankful for your love and concern for us. We are thankful, Lord, for Jesus. Lord, He is a Savior who cares. Father, we, we've all been the kind of hopeless sinners that others have given up on. We've all walked in ways that were super contrary to Your will and Your want. Your word says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And you loved us despite that. You cared for us despite that. And Jesus came for us despite our sin and despite our rebellion. How wonderful is our Savior. Help us, Father, to to always be awed at the greatness of Jesus. To always be awed at what happened for us on the cross. Father, if ever we begin to take the cross lightly, remind us. Remind us of the suffering Jesus endured on our place. Remind us of the love that put him there. Remind us that while grace and salvation cost us nothing, it cost Jesus everything. Let us rest fully 
in what Christ has done for us. And just know that there is no condemnation for us because of Jesus. What a glorious truth, Lord. Father, we want to care about people the way Jesus did. But Lord, this world, this world is not a caring place. And this world is constantly telling us there are some kinds of people we should not care about. And it's probably not in the same way the religious leaders did it. But all the talking heads on TV and all of the social media influencers are always telling us that some people are worth more than others. Some people are worthy of caring about and others are not. Help us not to fall for that sort of nonsense. Help us to be sure we are disciples of Jesus and not disciples of talking heads. Make sure we are disciples of Jesus and not disciples of social media influencers. Today, begin to work in our hearts. Convict us where it's needed. Soften our hearts where it's needed. Make us kind and compassionate like Jesus. Make us willing to do what we can to help like Jesus. Let us love people like Jesus. Fill me with your spirit today and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this is the second instance in which Mark records Jesus feeding a multitude. This time Mark tells us why... Jesus performed the miracle. He did it because, it says in verse 2, I feel compassion for the people. Jesus cared for them, and He didn't want them to go home uh, and faint on the way. Caring about people is consistent in the life of Jesus. And so those of us who are disciples of Jesus, we are meant to be like Jesus. Therefore, to be like Jesus, we must care like Jesus. To be like Jesus, we must care like Jesus. In this passage, it shows us three ways we're to care. Three ways our care will be lived out, I guess you'd say, so that we can care like Jesus. First, ensure compassion is a way of life. What Jesus is about to do is to feed the crowds because He feels compassion for them. They've been with Him for three days. They have nothing to eat And he knows if they go home, they're going to pass out along the way. Or at least they'll faint by the wayside along the way. So moved by compassion, Jesus determines he'll help them. But this wasn't a unique experience for Jesus. This was simply the way he lived his life. Jesus lived a lifestyle of compassion. He wasn't compassionate while the crowds were watching and something different when no one was around. It was a part of who he was and a part of the mission he came to complete. Jesus lived out his compassion in practical ways by making a difference in the lives of people. Jesus showed his compassion to people who needed it, and he showed it to them when they needed it the most. This is the example we're to follow. Now, there are, to follow the example of compassion as a way of life of Jesus, there are at least three elements Uh, that we have to have if we're going to emulate Jesus' life of compassion. The first is to see people. Now, this may sound obvious, to say Jesus saw 
the peoples. Uh, but let me explain. When this multitude of at least 4,000 men, not counting women and children, came to Jesus, he saw them. Now, I've probably mentioned this before, I think, in the last time, but it's still something that bears repeating. The reason it's important to know Jesus saw them is because Jesus knew all about the people he was looking at. Jesus is the omniscient Son of God. As such, he knows their sin. He knows their failures. He knows their desires, their sinful desires, their embarrassing desires. He knows their thoughts their wicked thoughts, their shameful thoughts, their hidden thoughts. And he knew, right? He hadn't heard gossip. He knew. He wasn't assuming. He knew. He wasn't guessing. He knew. Despite what Jesus knew, he looked at the people and saw people in need. He didn't look at them and see their sin. He didn't look at them and see their failures. He didn't look at them and see their shameful desires. He didn't look at them and see their shameful thoughts. He saw people, hurting people, hungry people, desperate people, people he could help. What do we see in the crowds? We all go to places. We go to Walmart. We go out and about and we see the crowds. What, what do we see when we look at the crowds? Do we see race or nationality? Do we see failures and sins we know about? Do we see failures and sins we've heard about? Do we, do we see what we assume to be true about them? Do we see what we imagine they might be thinking? What, their shameful, what we imagine their shameful desires might be? Or do we see people? Hurting people. Hungry people. Desperate people. People who need Jesus and the help only He can give. To be like Jesus, we have to see people. Secondly, care about people's problems. It's not enough to see the people. We have to care about the problems we see when we look at the people. The people who came to Jesus had enormous problems and they didn't know where to go for help. They had physical needs, they had spiritual needs, they had emotional needs, they had relational needs, and they had needs to be fed. And Jesus saw all of those needs, and Jesus cared about all of those needs. He cared about their problems when their problems were their fault. He cared about their problems when their problems were the result of making poor choices. He cared about their problems when their problems were the result of other people making poor choices that influenced them in a bad way. He cared about their problems when it was simply the result of living in a fallen, sin-cursed world and bad things happen. We are called to care about these sort of problems as well. We are called to care as Jesus cared. And the Bible says, bear one another's burdens. This, this is a command. To bear one another's burden. This means we care about their problem. We do what we can to help. We'll talk about that in a minute. But notice what he says. Bearing another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So what? when we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Well, the law of Christ is to love the Lord our God, love our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as we love 
ourselves. Right? The Apostle John would write things like, don't just say you love somebody, show it. Right? If you see this world, if you see somebody in need, and they and you have the ability to help them, and you don't do it, he would say, how does the love of Christ dwell in you? Right? So if we see the need, we have the ability to meet the need, that is fulfillment of the law of Christ, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And this is what we are called to do. Now what Paul says in the rest of this is harsh. It really is. For if anyone thinks that he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul was addressing people who thought that they were too important to get involved in the general messiness of life and bear one another's burdens. And he says, basically, if you think, when you look at other people and you see their burdens, and you think you're too important to get involved and to help them, you're deceived. In all reality, Paul says, you're nothing. I mean, you're, you're a zero. That's a strong, strongly worded statement. We are never too important to get involved in the messing of life and to help people. We are meant to care about the problems people has have. To be like Jesus, we must care about people and their problems. And then this leads to the third, to be willing to get involved. Jesus saw, Jesus cared, and then Jesus did something. And we'll talk about what he did in a bit, but for now the point is he did something. He didn't see their need and say, it's bad. Be warm and filled. See you next time. He actually did what he could to help. This is what we're supposed to do as well. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? Jesus tells the story we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. One of the religious leaders says, well, who's my neighbor? Right? Because they wanted to find people they didn't have to help. That's what they. He was really asking is, how limited is that? Because I don't really want to help everybody. So Jesus tells a story. A fellow was going from Jericho to, or from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who beat him and left him bleeding and naked on the side of the road. As it happened, a priest was walking by, and he, and he saw the guy, and then he went by on the other side, and he did nothing. And then a Levite came by, and he, he saw the guy, and then he went by and did nothing. But then a despised Samaritan came by, and he saw the guy. And he poured oil in his wounds. And he picked him up and put him on his pack animal. And he led the animal into the city. And he took him to a hotel. And he paid for his bill. And he said, if it goes beyond what I'm giving you now when I come back, I'll repay you. And then Jesus asked the question. He said, who do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man that fell among thieves? And he said, oh, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed compassion. And then here Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do the same. The main truth of the story is to motivate us to follow the Samaritan's example. What was his example? Seeing a person, caring about his problem, and then getting involved in the messiness of life to do what we can to make a difference. To be like Jesus, we must be willing to get involved to help people. In a big way, we ensure compassion is a way of life for us because of the compassion Jesus has already shown to us. Right? Jesus saw us. 
When we first came to Jesus for salvation, Jesus saw us. Not our sin, not our failure, not our shameful secrets. Jesus was fully aware of everything we had done in the past, the wicked desires we were struggling with in the present, and all of the sinful things we would ever do in the future. But He chose to see us and not our sin. How can we, who have been seen by Jesus, fail to see others? Jesus cares about our problems. When we first came to Jesus for salvation, Jesus cared about our problem of sin and the coming judgment that would take us away. He not only cared about our problems then, Jesus cares about our problems now. Isn't that part of the reason we pray? Cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. How can we, who have experienced the care and compassion of Jesus, not show care and compassion toward others? And Jesus got involved in our lives. When we first came to Jesus for salvation, Jesus got involved and He saved us. And He's been involved in our lives every day since. He has been involved to sanctify us and make us more like Him. He has been involved to restore us when we've strayed. He has been involved in our cares, our concerns, and every problem we have had since then. How can we, who have been helped by Jesus... Not help others in Jesus' name. To be like Jesus, we must care like Jesus. And this means we must ensure compassion as a way of life. Secondly, do what we can do to help. Now the disciples make a very valid point in verse 4. Where will anyone be able to find enough bread in this desolate place to satisfy this people? They look at all of the bread they have. They have seven loaves and a few fish. And there is no way to feed everyone. It is unlikely seven loaves and a few fish is enough to feed the disciples, much less to ensure all 4,000 men plus women and children who may, may be there get even a bite. Well, Jesus isn't dissuaded by the fact that they don't have enough. He tells the people to go set in crowds, to set in groups, and they'll get some food in a minute. And he takes what the disciples have, he, he prays over it, and he begins to break it and distribute it to the disciples. Now, in this, notice what the disciples do and what the disciples don't do. Jesus gives thanks. He breaks the bread in verse 6, gives it to his disciples to serve, and they serve the people. They find a few fish. They give the fish to Jesus. And Jesus blesses them and the disciples serve that as well. After they ate and were satisfied, and I think they includes the disciples as well as the people, then they, the disciples, picked up large basketfuls of what was left over of the broken pieces. So what did the disciples do? First, they acquired the seven loaves to give to Jesus. Then they got the few fish to give to Jesus. Then, after Jesus began to break it and give it to them, they took it and served the people. Now, they, in doing this, they spent, I, would, I have to think, an enormous amount of time. How much time does it take to feed, feed 4,000 men plus women and children when you have to walk from person to person? Right? They didn't set up a buffet say, y'all come on down. They walked here, you get some, and then you get some, and you get some, and you get some. And... They went over and over again. Then after everybody had eaten, they went back and said, Do you have any left over? 
you have any left over? Do you have any left over? And they went to the people, and then they went back to Jesus. And then they went to the people, and then they went back to Jesus. They repeatedly did what they could do to help. And, and this is literally all they did. All they did was give it to Jesus, take it from Jesus, give it to the people. Go back to Jesus, get some more, give it to the people, eat themselves, go to Jesus, go to the people, and come back to Jesus. They didn't multiply the food. They, they didn't do any of that. All they did was just go from person to person to do what, what it was they could do to help. They didn't multiply the food. That was Jesus. Jesus didn't expect them to multiply the food. That's what he was going to do. But he did expect them to do something. He did expect them to do what they could do to help. When it comes to helping those around us, there are things we can do and there are things we can't do. And what is easy to do is to focus on all the things we can't do. And when we focus on all the things we can't do, we become paralyzed with fear and we end up doing nothing. Think about all of the physical, spiritual, emotional, and relational needs just in our community. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, the number of people in our town, not even our county, just Guymon, who have desperate needs that only Jesus can meet is significant. And it can be overwhelming to think about these things. And when we think about all these things, it becomes abundantly clear we cannot do everything that needs to be done. Man, I'm not even talking about you and I as individuals cannot do everything that needs to be done. Our church as a whole together cannot do everything that needs to be done to help all the people in our community. But does the fact we can't do everything free us to do nothing? No. Jesus expects us to do what we can do to help us, to help others. You can be sure Jesus expects all those who are called by his name to do what they can do to help. I'm reminded of a familiar quote by Everett, Edward Everett Hale. I am only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. The something I ought to do, I can do. And by the grace of God, I will do. Like the disciples, there are going to be things we can't do. And our job in that moment is not to try to figure out ways to do the things we can't do. Our job in that moment is to figure out the things we can do and do those things. We need to do what we can to help those we come into contact with. What we can do, we must do. To be like Jesus, we must care like Jesus. And this means we must do what we can to help. And then thirdly and finally, trust Jesus to do what only he can do. So the disciples, they go and they spend all this time going to people to people. And as they do, seven loaves and a few fish feed 4,000 men plus whatever women and children may have been there and left baskets of food over that was not eaten. Miracle, a miracle they could not have done. 
The disciples' job again was to do what they could do and to trust Jesus to do the rest. This is how we have to spend our time serving Jesus as well. Because here's the reality. When it comes to truly helping people in need, particularly those who need help from Jesus, we can't. We can't save the lost. We can't restore the prodigal. But we should do what we can do and trust Jesus to do what only He can do. Many things that need to be done in our community that we need to do are impossible for us. You and I, our church, all the churches in Gaiman together are simply inadequate to do all the things that need to be done. But what is impossible for us is possible through Jesus. Let's not forget, Jesus is able to do far more abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Jesus is always far more powerful than we make him out to be in our minds. Jesus is so powerful, so great, so awesome. We cannot exaggerate what he can do. But notice the rest of the verse. According to the power that works within us. A part of what we cannot exaggerate in the power of Jesus is what he is able to do in us and through us and for us. But the, the wording says the power, the far more abundant beyond power is already at work in us. The Jesus who took disciples, who, who literally just grabbed bread and fed, he used these ordinary guys who did very ordinary things to feed over 4,000, about 4,000 men plus women and children is the same Jesus we serve today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews promises this is the case. So the God who works according, who works able to do abundant beyond what we ask or think, is able to do that today and in us and through us and for us. He can accomplish for us and through us infinitely more than we could ever dare to ask or hope. But it does take faith on our part. The disciples acted in faith. I mean, can you imagine? Seven loaves, few fish, and Jesus going, okay, sit it down, and we'll break it, and we'll feed everybody. They would go. I don't think Jesus prayed and broke it, and this pile of bread that you couldn't run and jump over appeared, and they were like, woohoo, look at this, and they were taking it and doing it. Every time they went, it was an act of faith. Jesus broke it and kind of like put it in their basket. And they would be like, oh. oh. And they just went around constantly believing Jesus would keep multiplying. They were acting completely by faith and not by sight. There wasn't a big pile of bread and a big pile of fish that they would go back and grab from. They would just have to trust. Wow, I don't understand why this is happening, but this is Jesus. He's awesome. And they had to do what they could do, take in hand, trusting Jesus to multiply it and do what only He could do. That's what we have to do. We can't save the lost, but we can share the gospel. We can't heal the sick, but we can pray with and for the sick. We can't fix the problems of the world, but we can listen and be someone who cares about them. We can't bring the prodigals home, but we can pray for them. And we can be a shoulder for worried parents to cry on. 
And we can pray with those parents. We cannot do all that needs to be done with anything. But in all things, there is something we can do. And whatever it is we can do, we must do. And we must do it in faith, trusting Jesus to do what only He can do. And when we act in faith, trusting Jesus to do what only He can do, we will find Jesus will do what only He can do. We must learn to live like this because this is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Our service and our devotion to Jesus is intentionally set in such a way it is beyond our capabilities to accomplish. Because you and I, we're not the hero. We're not the hero in the story of helping others. And we're not even the hero in our own story. Jesus is always the hero. Notice in this story, nobody is amazed at the disciples. Nobody is asking for their autograph. Man, I've never seen somebody hand out bread in the smooth way in which you did it. That was amazing. Can you, can you give bread handing out classes? Nobody, they, they were, I mean, they probably didn't even know their names. They weren't important. They weren't the hero. Jesus was. Literally, all they did was hand out bread and fish. And Jesus did all the heavy lifting. So all of the glory went to Him because He is the only one who deserves it. And it's the same way in our lives. Jesus intends to be the hero in our story as well. He doesn't intend us or expect us to save the lost, heal the sick, fix the problems, bring the prodigals home, or anything else. Jesus is the hero who does all of the heavy lifting to make those things happen. Now, so we, to be like Jesus, we care like Jesus, we do what only we can do, trusting Jesus to do what He can do so that He demonstrates and proves Himself to be the, the hero of the story of it all. As we close, the majority of the message has been on the importance of us being like Jesus. And I certainly think that's an important part of what we're supposed to learn from this. However, I don't want us to miss the fact that Jesus didn't just feel compassion then. Jesus feels compassion now. Jesus didn't just feel compassion for them. Jesus feels compassion for us. I want you to be sure you know Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. Not your sin. Not your failures. Not your shameful secrets. Not the desires you struggle with. Jesus sees you. Jesus is fully aware of your past sins. He's aware of your present sins. And He's aware of the sins you're not even contemplating doing at the moment. But He chooses to see you and not your sin. Jesus cares about you. Jesus cares about your problem of sin and your problem of the coming judgment. And, and make no mistake, that is the biggest problem you have in life right now. You have sinned against a holy God. And there is a day of judgment coming. Jesus cares about that. But Jesus not only cares about your spiritual problems. Jesus also cares about your physical problems. Jesus also cares about your emotional problems. Jesus also cares about your relational problems. Jesus also cares about your vocational problems. Jesus also cares about your financial problems. 
Jesus also cares about any problem you may have in any area of life. You may have a problem. Jesus cares about you. And I want you to know Jesus will get involved in your life. Today, Jesus stands with his hand outstretched to you saying, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When you come to Jesus, he will get involved in your life and he will save you from your sin. He will give you rest for your souls. He will give you peace for your anxiety and he will give you his strength for your struggles. Now, this isn't just my opinion. Jesus has proven he sees you. Jesus has proven He cares for you. Jesus has proven He wants to get involved in your life through His death on the cross. Mark 10, Jesus said He did not come to serve, but to be, He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You and I have sinned. We have sinned against a holy God and our sin has separated us from God, brought us into the just condemnation of God and there is a judgment day coming where we will receive the full measure of God's wrath against our sin. And Jesus saw that. And Jesus cared about that. And He saw that what we needed wasn't an example. It wasn't a teacher. It was a Savior. And so He left the glories of heaven. And He was born of a virgin. And He lived the kind of life you and I should have lived. Sinlessly, He always did what pleased His Father. He never broke any of God's commandments in the explicit way or an implicit way. He never had a thought or a word that was not right. He healed people. He fed people. He did many good things. But despite all of the good Jesus had done, all of the things Jesus taught, He was betrayed. He was turned over to the Romans. He was horribly beaten. He was brutalized with flogging. And then he was nailed to the cross where he suffocated and he died. But the worst part of what Jesus endured was not the beatings and the floggings and the suffocation of the cross. The worst part was when all of our sin was put on Jesus on the cross. All of God's wrath against all of our sin was placed upon him. You can say Jesus endured hell on the cross. So that we wouldn't have to. See, that was the point. He wasn't dying for his sins. He was dying for our sins. He was taking our punishment so that he could give us his grace. He was taking our sin so that he could give us his righteousness. And after he had paid all of God's God's wrath against all of our sin, he cried out, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost and he died. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. And he laid dead for three days. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day he arose, showed himself alive by many infallible proofs to many disciples who wrote about what they saw when they saw the risen Christ. And then he ascended into heaven where he ever lives to make intercession for us. Right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and Jesus is praying for all of us. For those of us who are disciples of Jesus, Jesus is interceding for our struggles and our heartaches and our hurts and our problems. For those who are not yet Christians, Jesus is praying that today would be the day you would hear his call. Today would be the day you would respond, take hold of his hand and be saved. 
See, Jesus has demonstrated that he he sees you, he cares about you, and he wants to get involved on the cross. There's no greater way he does that. But Jesus waits. He says, come to me. And right now, in this moment, Jesus is calling all of us to come to him. To lay our burdens down. To find rest for our souls. For some, he's calling to come, lay your sins down. Take his righteousness and be saved. Trust me, the cross demonstrates he wants you to be saved, but it's your choice. This is a a part I I always want to stress. I wish I could believe for someone else to be saved, but I can't. And neither can you. And no one else can do it for you. Turning to Jesus, coming to him, being saved. That is an individual decision each one of us has to make on our own. And we all do make a decision. Today, if the Lord is calling you to come to Jesus and be saved, you will make a decision. And it's a binary decision. You will choose yes or you will choose no. There's no in between. Yes, I will come to Jesus and I will be saved by Jesus. Not today. I'm not going to. There is no in between. Jesus is calling His hand is outstretched. It's a nail-scarred hand that has taken our sin. And he says, come, repent of your sins. Believe in me and surrender your life to me. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. For most of us, we live our lives not assuming our sin is not important. No one cares. So long as my sin doesn't hurt anyone else, it's not that big of a deal. But God says something different. God says all of our sin is ultimately against Him. He is the King who sets the rules. And when we say, I'll do what I want, we're telling the King, you will not rule over me. Repentance is saying, God's right and I'm wrong. Repentance leads to believing in Jesus. But believing in Jesus isn't merely believing there is a God. Believing there is a God saves no one. It's not even believing that there was a guy named Jesus who lived and died and maybe even rose again. That sort of belief doesn't save anyone. The belief that saves is a belief that says because of what Jesus did, that's the only hope I have. I'm not saved because I'm a good person. I'm not saved because I'm moral. I'm not saved because I'm a good spouse. I'm not saved by anything I have done or anything I will do. I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. That's the kind of faith that saves. The reality is those who change their mind about sin and God and who believe Jesus saves them, the natural response is they surrender their lives to begin to follow Him, to do what He wants them to do. This is the first step everyone has to take. This is what Jesus is calling people to today. For all of us, we're meant to be like Jesus and to care like Jesus. But for all of us, Jesus first cares for us before He wants us to do for Him. All we do flows out of what He has already done. If you have never turned to Jesus, if you have never repented, never believed, never surrendered your life, this is your need today. Let's all stand.
I don't typically, we don't typically do verses of invitation. Because when I was a young man resisting the call of the Lord for salvation, I would focus on the music rather than on the conviction. And there is something powerful about the silence of this time where we just listen for what the Lord would say. And since this time is so holy and it is so important, I would ask everyone, if you're not going to come, to be still. This isn't the time to pack up your papers. This isn't the time to get your phone out. Stand, be still, as the Lord is dealing with hearts today. I'll pray. The altars will be open if you want to come. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and glorious, wonderful and worthy. We thank you, Jesus. Seize us. We're thankful Jesus cares about us. We're thankful Jesus is willing to get involved in our lives. I don't know what's going on in anyone's heart today. But I know we all need Jesus in one way or another. Very likely some need the salvation Jesus died to provide. Very likely others need to recommit their life to Jesus because they've strayed. Very likely others have the cares of life are crushing them and they need to find rest for their souls. Others are probably feel enslaved by sin and they want freedom. The great news is that Jesus can meet whatever need we have today. So let us all hear His voice calling us to come to Him to lay our burdens down and to find rest for our souls in whatever way we need it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The altars are open if you want to come.